May he have his way with us today as we continue to look into his word. And we are going back to the Gospel of John, but just for a moment, as I think back on what we've studied recently, I, I hope that it has thrilled your heart, really, to study the final discourse of Jesus' teachings with his disciples there in the upper room and the important themes that he wanted his followers to know that would help them through the time that we're about to um, discuss and look at in detail over the next few weeks in his death and his resurrection. And of course, deep meaning for his followers today as well to marvel at the truths of the relationship of the father and the son and the closeness of fellowship with in, in the midst of, of the deity that it's just hard for us to fathom. And yet in some sense or another, Jesus prays that we will have that fellowship or unity to some degree. It just should really blow our minds and, and make us wonder at that and realize that we have a long way to go in that type of unity. To think about the fact that he abides in us for those who have trusted in him and that we are the branches and are needed to abide in the vine and our need to be in his word in the Holy Spirit. Even as we talked about this morning, the Holy Spirit's work in us that helps us to grow and be vibrant and be fruitful. And Jesus provides all of these things, the ability to do these things, the power. And then his love that pours out. And as he finished his prayer and he's that he is looking forward for us being with him together to experience his eternal glory more than we are. Uh, we don't do as well as anticipating that as we should. But yet Jesus still is doing a work in us and he is looking forward to that. And in the meantime, he wants us to know the love of his father through a relationship with him. And really the, the depths of the truths I hope that they have been a great blessing to you. They should have been, certainly. But as they finished and as Jesus finished his prayer for his disciples and for us, right? He prayed for us in these things. They moved to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. And there will be a great change in the next prayer that Jesus gives. For all the majesty of the prayer and his teaching in John that makes it clear his deity, really, that he is the son of God. And the phrases that Jesus used to make it clear that, um, that the father gives him the same authority that only God could have and the power that only God could have. Jesus' deity shines out in John. Today we're going to see, and we're going to take a break from John to be able to see this. We're going to go to Mark. So turn to John 18. We're going to look at the first verse there, but then also have your finger in Mark 14. And today we're going to see the humanity, the full humanity of Christ as he agonizes about what's to take place. We'll be in Mark 14 in just a minute. But John 18, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, his high priestly prayer has finished. His, he and his disciples have probably are probably at the gate, one of the gates there, 
uh, at the city that leads out. And he went out with his disciples across the book, Kidron, where there was a garden. And that garden we know is the Garden of Gethsemane. We find in Mark here in just a few minutes that they headed out to the Mount of Olives. And the garden was on the lower western portion of that mount in which he and his disciples entered. And there's a lot condensed into that one verse. And then John goes right into the betrayal that Judas would have a part in in his actions. But we want to broaden this. We want to look at the details of what happened there. And one of the reasons, not the main reason, but one of the reasons we're doing this is I do want to be able to cover the resurrection in the Gospel of John on Easter. But this is helpful for us. I really want us to see as the synoptics focus more on Jesus' agonizing prayer in this garden. And we could look in Matthew or Luke, but we're going to look in Mark chapter 14. And we're going to back up then a little bit from where we just were in John. Mark 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Quotation from Zechariah in the Old Testament. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. What ought to really impress upon our hearts is Jesus knew the frailties of these men, his followers. And he, they're going to continue to show their weakness and frailty in one of his darkest moments. In Jesus' deepest agony, his friends will fail him. And he knows our failings. He knows where we will fail. He knows our weaknesses. And yet Jesus will, at the end of this prayer, still say, let the Father's will be done. And he will give his life for his followers. And he gave his life for us. And that awe in the midst of what he knows about us, in the midst of what he knew of what he would face, he was willing to do that, to obey his Father and for his love for us. Father, let us marvel. Let us take comfort that in the agony that Jesus would experience in this passage, far beyond anything that really that we will ever face or agonize about, that he did not run away from this hour, the end of the mission that you had called him to, the sent one, as we've heard so many times in the Gospel of John, but that he embraced it, that he took it on, and he was willing to drink the full cup of your wrath. Just amazing to even consider. So let us be moved today to love Jesus more because he was willing to do this for people that are sinful and rebelled against you and are weak and have failings. He was willing to give his life in agony for this. And let us be willing to proclaim to the world his love 
his desire and his love for you. Let us be moved today, Father, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Even as we read those few verses in Mark 26 through 31, we see here that Jesus knew the troubling reactions of his followers. And not just Jesus, but actually scripture all the way back in the Old Testament revealed the reaction of his followers. This was something that was going to take place that was expected that, that when the Messiah would come and would offer himself for the world, that his followers would, would fall away, that they would neglect him. They would run from him, in effect. And let's look at this even more closely again, verse 26. They sung a hymn. Well, again, one of the Hallel hymns from Psalm 115 could have very well been the words that Rob just read for us earlier. And they head out to the Mount of Olives. They're headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane. And we, we found earlier that Jesus had already revealed to Peter that he would deny him. But it seems to be still a topic of conversation as they're headed out. It wasn't that Jesus revealed this to Peter just one time, but it seems multiple times, and it seems Peter was truly bothered by this. And so this continues to be a topic of discussion. This is the, uh, really the only other time that we hear of their um, talk and discussion on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. We heard a lot of that in Jesus' teaching in John, and we have it here in Mark. And Jesus, again, is clear to them, you will all fall away. It was written in the Old Testament that you would do this. Can't argue with the Old Testament. Can't argue with God's word. Zechariah 13, 7, Jesus quotes from, and that verse says from Zechariah, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. God's people shouldn't have missed the fact that he would send the Messiah, the good shepherd, and he would have to strike that shepherd for the sins of the world, for his people. And in the midst of that, he would be abandoned. And Jesus knows this. He's fully realistic in what's about to take place. But then he gives hope, right, for his disciples in verse 28. But even after I am raised up, um, I will go before you to Galilee. Yes, scripture testified in the Old Testament that Jesus, the shepherd, would be stricken. Doesn't this also remind us of themes from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant? And all that Jesus would have to suffer in being struck by the, by the God of heaven, by his own father, and all that he would endure. But our hope, and even in this dire circumstance, in this dark passage, he reminds them. And he reminds us that death would not keep him in the grave that he would be resurrected. And he says, after I've defeated death, I will go before you into Galilee. I will appear and be with you again. 
Men, during this dark hour that you're about to experience, don't forget, I will return to you in glory and power. And yet they're still focused, and Peter in particular is still focused on this idea of him falling away. It's just inconceivable to him that that would happen. And we have to, we have to admit here that Peter sincerely thinks that he will not run away. That he will not betray, not betray, but he will not deny his master. He's sincere in this. So we have to give that to him, verse 29. And maybe a little bit of agony himself. He says, even though they all fall away, Jesus, I will not. Well, maybe a little bit of pride, too. Jesus, you know how these other guys are. But trust me, you've always, I've always got your back. And um, I wonder how the other, I'd love to see a picture or watch the other disciples' reactions as Peter says this, you know. <laughs> I'm sure they were frustrated by that. What did he say? I, I couldn't hear. He was kind of talking quietly to Jesus. Did he say, did he say that we're all going to leave and that he's still going to be with them? Uh, but Peter, you know, his impetuous nature, but he's sincere in this. Lord, I won't leave you. And Jesus is trying is, is revealing to him, no, Peter, you will. This is of a truth. Truly, this will happen. This is full truth that I'm giving you here. I tell you, this very night before that rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter has, has to be in frustrated and even irritated about this as he says emphatically, I no, I, I won't, I'll die with you. I will not deny you. And all the others who he kind of left behind in the dust say, yeah, Jesus, we won't, we won't deny you either. We'll be with you to the end. They adamantly say this. And Jesus is faced with followers who sincerely want to follow him, and yet he knows they will all fail him. And folks, it really is remarkable. If we were facing what Jesus, even, even a quarter of what Jesus had to face here and knew that everyone that was most dear to us would abandon us and leave us. We would want to run as far away from that experience and having to go through that as we could. Our flesh, our, our humanity, in our brokenness, we would recoil from that idea and from having to go through something like that and we would um really be be emotionally destroyed to know that everybody that we hold dear that are closest to us would literally leave us it'd be something that we, we could not handle and yet jesus was willing to do that for us and so verse 32, as they continue, they went to a place called Gethsemane. They got closer to the Mount of Olives. And I know some of you have even traveled and have been in this very garden. I'd love to be there one day. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. This is outside of the garden. He says there's now 11. So he says to seven of these, you pray here outside of the garden. But then he takes the three, the, the inner circle. Peter, James, and John, those that are in some aspect or another closest to him, John, the beloved disciple, Jesus loved them all, 
but these men had a little bit closer relationship with them. I think he targeted them to um, interact with him more. And so he takes these men, Peter, James, and John, and goes inside the garden here. This is not the first time that Jesus would have been in this garden. This was probably a normal, a, a regular place where they went together to pray and a regular place where they expected that Jesus would go further and pray by himself. I think it was a, a popular place for them to go. So he comes and then it says here that he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And we see that Jesus knew the troubling reactions of his followers, but he also is fully realistic. He has full comprehension of the deeply troubling nature of his own sufferings that he's about to endure. And these words really are um, striking in what Mark describes here. Because you think back to Jesus' reaction in the teachings of the Gospel of John and in his prayer. Here we have in that prayer, we have a confident Jesus that says, this death, this sacrifice is as good as done. I will accomplish its mission accomplished already. And I, Lord, I I want to receive the glory of finishing this so that I can offer you, Father, the glory that you deserve. And Jesus is confident in that prayer. And he's fully aware that he's going to be able to accomplish this. And then we get to this in the garden, and we see the full humanity of Jesus being distressed and troubled. This, um, th- these words have the idea of being troubled and tremendously, tremendously agitated in spirit as he realizes what's about to happen. And in, in a way... We have, to, we have to understand his full humanity to even say this, but he's in a sense traumatized by the realization of what he is about to endure. He, he is fully um, grieved in his spirit, and he is very open to his disciples in this and letting them know that, that he is very sorrowful. These words are intense words of emotional suffering. Jesus is moved to deep distress, revulsion in his spirit, and anguish. And amazingly, the Savior of the world is fully candid with his followers about his turmoil. He is in great grief and sorrow. Again, look at those words. He's distressed, troubled, very sorrowful, even to a depth that he feels like that he could die. If you've ever been troubled to the point where you almost feel sick, I don't know that any of us have ever gotten to the point where we feel like we could physically die. If, and anybody that's experienced that knows how um, de- debilitating that is and how difficult that is. But here Jesus sensed this in a sense that I don't think any human being ever could. And he's so grieved that he feels like that he could literally die at that moment. And he expresses this to them. And then what he says to them, he says, remain here and watch. And he asked for them to remain near him, to pray with him. 
and also to watch. What are they supposed to watch for? I think most practically to watch for those that would come, to be on the lookout. The betrayer is on the way. Judas is on the way. The soldiers, the religious leaders. And he says, be on the watch. But one of the main things I think um, Jesus is telling his disciples is be prepared in prayer for what is about to take place. How different would these disciples have reacted if they truly had followed Jesus' request here and actually prayed? And maybe they did for a few brief moments, right? But it didn't last very long. And so he leaves them. He goes further into the garden and going a little farther, he fell on the ground in anguish and sorrow. This is the idea of someone that's so anguished and emotional that they literally fall on the ground exhausted and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. That hour is the hour of judgment. He said in the gospel of John, the hour is here. It has come upon us. And now he is about ready to experience that. Well, what about that desire for the Father's glory that he described in John? Is that at odds with what he's experiencing here? He testified of it in John, that he was ready, almost confident. But at the same time, folks, Mark shows us here that Jesus was fully human, not 30, not 50, not 80% human, in his full humanity. He knows what he's about to face and he's in great distress. The awfulness of the physical that he would face, beyond what we would face in the torture and the crucifixion. And as a side note, remember that no matter what you're facing right now, no matter what God is allowing into your life, Jesus has suffered more than we will ever suffer. And he knows the torment and the distress of having to face a very dark hour, his darkest hour. And it's overwhelming in his humanity. Was he recoiling merely from the physical aspects of what he would face? Folks, I think ultimately why he was going through this is even deeper than that. Yes, it would be awful what he would face physically. But in his deity, I think the, the greatest reason why he's in such anguish is he knew that he would be separated from his father. Can you imagine the relationship that Jesus has described in the gospel of John about the closeness that he has with the father, the oneness, and somehow in some fashion when he hangs on that cross and the sins of the world are put upon him, he is separated from his father. His father turns his back on him. And I think out of all the things that he would experience, that would be the most costly. That would be the most agonizing. And what he's praying here then, Lord, Father, I don't want to be separated from you. And it's not, again, as if he's saying that he could somehow, he's praying that the Lord, his father, would help him to get out of this moment, that he's backing out. Don't misunderstand what he says here. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. That beautiful phrase, Abba, Father, is to the Jewish ear would have been amazing as well. And, and the most intimate um, description of a father. 
And sometimes it's referred to as described as saying daddy today, that uh, children say daddy, and it's that type of, of intimate. It, that's, that's a little um, off the mark. It's not, it, you have to be careful with that. It's not as if the, this, this word here, Abba, actually means daddy, okay? But it is a very intimate term that adults would use as well as children. And it shows that his closest possible relationship with the father, that he truly is the son of God. And all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me. Not that he's backing out of what must take place, because we've seen again in John that he's ready. But what is going on here? He's recoiling inner, inner, in his inner man from what he will endure in his humanity. And he's distressed about it. And yet, even with all of that emotion and the recoiling about what he is about to experience in the torture and the separation from his father, he very adamantly says, it's not what I will. It's not all about me, God. Father, it's about you. And what you will, I will do. And he makes that very clear. He's fully willing to follow the Father's plan with full knowledge of what he's about to face. And folks, again, we should marvel that Jesus has full knowledge of our failings, of the ways that we will fail him, of our sin. And he was willing to shoulder that sin and to be separated from his father, to have his father turn his back on him, and to die that awful death on the cross so that we could be with him and experience his glory for eternity. Are you marveling at that today? That should motivate us to want to sing even more energetically, more fervently, of all that Jesus has done for us. Well, this was bad enough, right? the agony that Jesus is experiencing in this moment. And yet he faces further disappointment over the apathy, the weakness of his followers. And he returns, verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter in particularly, why did he choose out Peter from the others? Because this was the guy that had just finished saying, I'll go with you anywhere, Jesus, I have your back. And he can't even pray. He can't even do the simple thing that the Savior asked him to do for an hour. And that is pray. And I think part of this is, Peter, here you are with this grandiose description of how you're going to follow me. And you can't even pray when I ask you to pray. Peter, he says, Simon, are you asleep? You can hear the disappointment in his voice. He's not surprised. This is not surprise. But it's disappointment. Could you not wait one hour? And then he says these words. He's asking them to pray for him, but even more for themselves. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he acknowledges that these men sincerely want to pray. They want to um, have relationship with him. They do love him. The spirit is willing. But in their body, in that great weakness of body at that moment, it's very weak. And sleep has come upon them all. And we all know this. Uh, that point in our evening, where especially if we've had a long day, 
an emotional day, a lot of things going on. And when we get ready for bed, there are times when we are just so tired, we just literally kind of fall in the bed. And obviously, the disciples were working through this. They didn't have coffee back then. They didn't have caffeine to keep them up. I don't know if that would have helped in this circumstance. But for all that they had just committed to Jesus, and for them to be found sleeping when he's asked them to pray, really was a a dereliction of their duty and friendship. They were supposed to be watching. They were supposed to be praying. And Jesus acknowledged There is still much weakness within you. And so he goes away again after this admonition. And it went away and prayed, verse 39, and saying the same words. And if you'll quickly turn to Matthew 26, verse 42, we have these words. Again, each of the Gospels gives us a little bit more of the information. They don't contradict each other. This is important. They complement each other. If four of us went on a missions trip, um, well, you know, I can give an example of that. The, the Lemons, Rob and Robbie, even in their um, presentation that they gave, they, they didn't stand before us and say the exact same words and give the exact same um, illustrations and stories and things. They complemented each other. One would give some detail, and then another would say, oh, and this happened. And it's the same thing with the Gospels. God allows this beautifully to interweave together in giving us a fuller picture as we read the contents of all the Gospels in this. And so we find the content of Jesus' second prayer, verse 42, Matthew 26. And it said, again, for a second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus is not asking not talking about letting the the cup of God's wrath pass from him any longer. He is acknowledging his submission to the will of God. And he would do that again in a third prayer that we'll see in just a minute. But Jesus is submitting now. Well, he's always been submissive, but fully acquiescing, saying it's time. Let's do this. I am obedient to your will, regardless of my own feelings and emotions. Father, I follow you. Folks, what an example for us who have experienced far less in our emotional distress throughout our lives. It's, it's, it's hard. It's legitimate that we go through difficult times. But there are so many times in our emotions where we get so overwhelmed that we don't even feel, Lord, I just can't serve you. I can't do what you've called me to do. It's too hard. It's too much. And Jesus is the perfect example for us that in the midst of the greatest suffering that anyone has ever suffered, he immediately and confidently said, Lord, your will be done. Father, I obey you over my own emotions and my own anguish. I will do what you've called me to do. And our Savior can give us the power to do what he's called us to do, regardless of our emotions, regardless of the overwhelming uh, weakness that we face. Folks, rely on Christ and whatever he's called you to do in obedience or mission or whatever, you can do it. Don't listen to the, um, the doubts of the foe. And, and when you're in great emotional turmoil, turn to Christ, run to Christ as we sing. 
and he will give us the power to endure. Full recognition of what he will endure. And he says, I will obey. And so verse 40, again, he came. Will he find them praying? We know what happens. And found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy. They were very tired and they wake up. It's one of those really embarrassing things. You know, there's all been times in all of our lives where you get caught in doing something or a mistake or a failure, and there's just nothing to say. I mean, you're caught so openly <laughs> and so directly. It's like, I don't even have any words. And that's where the disciples are. They realize as he comes again that they have dedicated, they, they've told him that they're with him, and they've told him that they will be loyal to him. And he comes again to check on them, and they've fallen asleep again. And they don't even have words to answer him. They're so embarrassed. And they know they've been caught. And Jesus knew their weakness. And he's disappointed still. Verse 41, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? And this, you know, this can be translated as a question. Or it can be translated as a statement. Either one, it, it exemplifies the same thing. Matthew says, sleep and take your rest later on. And Jesus is basically saying here, enough rest. You've had your time of rest when you were supposed to be praying. Um, you've, you've failed in this regard, but it's enough. The hour has come. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Would that these men have prayed and been better prepared. And they were not. And Jesus knows that. And he's now, and, and he also knows that he's about ready to be betrayed and handed over in the hands of men who thought themselves the most righteous people in their culture at that time. The leaders, the religious leaders, thought. They above all, and the reason why they were doing this in their motivation was because they thought themselves righteous. And yet Jesus makes it clear, no, these men, these so-called righteous men in their own minds are about to commit the greatest sin that has ever been committed throughout history. To send the perfect lamb of God to his death and have him crucified. Oh, these men are sinners. He's about to be delivered into them. Does Jesus cower? Does Jesus kind of recoil from this moment? No, he says to his disciples, let's go. Let's meet my hour. It's here. The betrayer's in hand. He courageously, in great strength, the power of, of God goes to meet the foe. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Andrew Murray has um, a wonderful quote here, and it comes to what Jesus was about to do in the work of the Holy Spirit. Have you never yet learned the lesson that the Holy Spirit works with mighty power while on the human side everything appears feeble? Look at the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane. We read that he, through the eternal spirit, offered himself a sacrifice unto God. The almighty spirit of God was enabling him to do it. And yet what agony and fear and exceeding sorrow came over him and how he prayed. Externally, you can see no sign of the mighty power of the spirit. But the spirit of God was there. 
And even so, while you are feeble and fighting and trembling in faith in the hidden work of God's spirit, do not fear, but yield yourself. There's two things I want us to end with in application today based on what I just read and from the scriptures. Number one, folks, whatever you're facing, it may feel like the presence of the spirit is not with you, but remember he is. If you are one of God's children, he is there. He is ready um, for you to turn to him. Jesus is ready for you to turn and call out for help and he will help. Everything may seem at its darkest, but you remember that the presence of Jesus through the Spirit is with you, and he will help you. Don't give in to the darkness. Don't give in to despair. Rise. Run to Christ. He knows what you're experiencing, and he will help. And then even a greater truth, folks, is that Jesus knew everything that he was about ready to experience. All the agony, the torture the mutilation of his body, his separation from his heavenly father. He knew that he would carry our ugly sin on his shoulders. And yet he still turned to the father and said, what you will, I will do. Because he loved us. And let's proclaim that truth to a world today that needs to hear it. Father, we marvel. We, we really, we weep. And we rejoice that Jesus was willing to go through all this. We marvel that at the same moment that he was ready to obey and to go through, to experience the glory that he would give back to you at the same time he was recoiling in his humanity about what he would face and most importantly, his separation from you. It's hard for us to fully comprehend. We can't. And yet his love for you and his obedience for you and Lord as well, his love for us. He was fully willing to do what needed to be done. And he rose and he went forward and boldly met and moved toward the hour and the betrayer, knowing that he would accomplish the mission and the glory that we would one day experience those that have trusted in Christ and that we will experience one day for all eternity because of this dark and dreadful thing. The most dark and dreadful sin that has ever been committed in the history of the world, Father, and you turned that into the most glorious work of redemption that is fully, it is fully able to provide cleansing from sin and forgiveness for us. We marvel in that and rejoice in that. And help us, even as we go from here, as we continue to con contemplate these truths, to be motivated with love for Christ, that in the midst of our failings and our sin, that he died for us, that we might have relationship with him and proclaim that to a sinful world that needs Christ. 
and that needs his love and forgiveness of sins. Help us to do that well. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.